It is a trip to be with you. <laughs> when, uh, I mean, it's kind of like Resurrection Sunday almost, right? Epic Life's back a year later. Jesus was in the grave for three days. We were in the grave for about a year, so that works. But yeah, I'm just in shock that uh, we're here. And if there's one thing that gnaws at my faith in this past year, stepping away from Epic for all good reasons, sometimes you have to say no to really good things to pursue the best. And we walked away from the past version of what we were doing. It was great. We did it for 10 years, but just feel like there's something better, something, something else that was going to be what we were really supposed to go after. And so a whole year goes by. And I don't know about you, but I've been like preaching every week for about 10 years. So when you stop, you're like, uh, okay. <laughs> like, I feel like I should be somewhere. And, uh, but beyond that, everything besides kind of going through, we, we moved to Tahoe, which has been really fun. And so we're, we're here. We're going to come down here every month to be with you guys because we believe in the city, we believe in you guys. But overarching, this, this thing comes after my soul. There's this like gnawing at my faith, my, my core and my being that says, will I, when I'm done living this life, will I have done everything I was capable of? Did I experience and pursue the fullness of this thing in me, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead that dwells in me, that empowers me? Did I experience its fullness? Did I use it to the maximum capacity? And what I'm talking about is really, am I living a life of significance? People say they want to change the world. I really like, in my heart, like people say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone says that. Well, I actually kind of mean it. <laughs> like I, I want my life that the world is the way it is because my life existed. I want the same for you as I want the world to be the way it is because you made it that way. And the other side of it too is that all the world's problems have answers in the lives of the God's people. There is something about God in you that is greater than he who's in the world that can be the answer and the, the solution to the world's problems. Because our highest calling, as I said before, is not to attend, attend church. Your highest calling as a believer is not to experience eternal damnation. It's not any of those things. Your, your highest call of a believer is to realize what's inside of you. It's to experience that, to walk in it, to begin to step it out. And so that's what I want. And I believe that's what you want. That's why we're called Epic Life. And that's why we're here. We're not called Lame Life. So I believe that what we all want is we, we have the same shared desire that, that God's in me, but gosh darn it, like how do I make this matter in my life? What do I do? So all of us, I think, would agree that like God in me is kind of a big deal, but how do I walk it out? What do I do to experience the life's greatest fulfillment in walking out my faith? And so what I want to do is give you what I believe are four ingredients to live in a life of significance. If you want to live a life of significance, I actually believe there are four key important ingredients that are required for it. The first one is this, is to live a life of significance. You must heal from past disappointment. If you want to live a life of significance, you have to heal from past disappointment. You cannot afford your past to have a vote or have a voice in your future. You will be doomed to repeat your past if you continue to believe the lies of the past. But we live in a world where things don't get work out. We get shut down. We don't get our way. I get really grumpy and I don't get my way. We live in a world where, where things just fall apart. People disappoint us. There's pain. There's misfortune. And there's people who fail us and we fail ourselves. This is not common demand. If you're living and breathing, you've experienced disappointment. 
But what you do with that disappointment is going to determine your future. The reasons you must heal from disappointment is because if you don't, disappointment will self-replicate. Left alone, disappointment in your life will begin to multiply. It will begin to take over because disappointment will attempt to plunder your future and bring you demotivation. Disappointment's goal is for you to give up. When you experience disappointment and discouragement, there's a subtle lie that says it's not even worth it. You shouldn't even try anymore. But too many of us are letting our past disappointments have too much influence over our futures. How are we doing that? Is that we are actually dreaming to the size of the disappointment that we can manage. So many of us carry the words, the lies, the things that people say. You're not good enough. That's not your gift. And that's such anointing. We have somebody else that's better. You didn't go to seminary. I didn't go to seminary. So if that's anything to you. But they're letting somebody else's words create limits upon what you believe about yourself. Other people's words are creating ceilings for where you're going to go. Because people allow these disappointing experiences com to completely create fences on their futures. My college professor, I'm terrible at math. You might know this if you've heard me before. I'm terrible. And accounting is really hard. I had an accounting professor who made us do everything by hand, like long division. And I just, like, it just was too hard. Like, my brain just doesn't work that way. And my accounting professor looked at me and says, you're never going to be good at business. And I gave up. I changed my major. And for about a year, I created an alternative future. And to that point, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. When my professor says, you're never going to be successful in business because you suck at accounting, I then allowed my future to be altered. I then imagined my future in other career fields and paths. Fortunately, I had a friend that told me that my professor was full of crap, <laughs> that real entrepreneurs hire accountants. <laughs> so Charity and Jared, wherever you guys are, thank you because you... <laughs> but that's why it's important that we heal from past disappointment. Otherwise... We will walk into our future echoing the lies of those who discouraged us. And we'll repeat them. And we'll make them our own words. We'll say things like, well, I've been hurt in the past before. It didn't work out that time. Or remember the last time I tried that? Like, discouragement sounds like all these things. And guess what? When you do that, when you partner, when you replicate, when you repeat those things, you are creating a self-fulfilling prophecy over your life that you won't. When you believe the lies and replicate and repeat the lies that you have heard, they not only spoil your future, I believe they actually invite advers adversity into your life. That when you believe lies of discouragement, it invites adversity into your life. Why is my life so hard? Why do I stink at everything? Probably because you say that you stink at everything. <laughs> I'll take it one step further. Is that when you fear... You are giving the devil ideas. Small tangent. The book of Job, I'm not going to give, because you know I love a book of Job sermon. Job, in the middle of his destruction, and we'll, we'll skip all the, uh, the rest of the talk, but in the middle, chapter three, 
He's in his rooms and he says, the very thing I have feared has come upon me. The devil is roaming around looking for someone to devour, right? What is the scent that attracts a predator? I believe in the kingdom, it's fear. So not only do we have like this anxiety of like, I'm no good, I'm not great at this, I'm, I'm this, but then these fears that we allow to take residence in our mind that we make space for, I believe sends out a scent for a lion who's looking for someone to devour. And your inability to recover from disappointment reveals to the enemy a blueprint actually to suppress your life. All he needs to do, all the enemy needs to do is to keep you down and you'll self-destruct, to keep you believing the lies that you have. Because disappointment wants to repeat itself and to create itself in the future. And the Bible is really clear about the enemy. It's Ephesians 4.27. Do not give the enemy a foothold. Disappointment is a foothold in your life. Because he doesn't just want to make you stumble. He wants to make you stumble and to stay down. He wants it to affect you so much that you don't even try to get back up. He wants to win over your life by keeping you from ever fighting again. That's all he needs to do. So grieve a disappointment. Heal from it. But move on from it. Otherwise, it'll turn into a house guest that never leaves. <laughs> if you know what that feels like, you know what I mean. So number one. If you want to live a life of significant, you have to heal from past disappointment. Number two, the second ingredient, if you want to live a life of significance, is you have to dismantle the fear of failure. We as a people are terrified of failure. Do you know it took Thomas Edison over a thousand attempts to invent the light bulb? And when someone asked him, like, hey, that was a lot of failure. Didn't you ever get discouraged? His reply was, no, I just discovered over 900 ways not to create a light bulb. I love that mentality, that attitude. True story, when I proposed to my wife, this is me wanting to be an entrepreneur, and we're talking because she had to rely upon me for everything. She's going to grad school. So it was all to me. I'm like fresh out of a dorm room going into business for myself as an entrepreneur, and we're getting married, and it's up to me to provide. And I tell her, I was like, this is very simple. You know, nine out of 10 businesses fail, so all I have to do is start 10. And then one in there will work. It happens to be that I've started over 10 companies and I got one really good zinger. The rest have been failures, base hits, dumpster fires, a couple of different things. But, but in that admission is the recognition that I'm going I'm to fail nine times more than I'm going to succeed. I'm not going to allow what might not work to define what I should do. Because fear is riddling us. But I like fear in one hand because failure is the proof that you tried something. Don't show me someone who's never failed at anything. Failure is the proof that you actually tried something. Show me someone who's never failed and I'll show you someone who's not tried anything and they're not going to live a significant life either. But our culture is so obsessed with manufacturing appearances of perfection. Right, we have all these things, hashtag blessed. You know, like, look at my great life. <laughs> We're always presenting our best lives to everyone. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, maybe we should all, like, <laughs> post all the terrible, maybe, I don't know. Maybe that's a different social network altogether. <laughs> but we are being conditioned as a culture to fixate on what's good and to share what's good. 
And, to, and we, we envy those who've got great social media profiles, right? Their life is so perfect, they have no problems. And so we have this cultural pressure on us to never mess up. And so therefore, we don't try anything. But what so many people realize in the fear of failure is so many times the worst case scenario of your idea not working out is you go back to exactly what you're doing right now. Said another way, your current life is probably your worst case scenario. <laughs> well, what if it doesn't work? You go back to what you're doing right now. <laughs> With maybe the exception of rocket ships, <laughs> for most of us, usually if something doesn't work out, we go back to what we're doing. But we fear what people think of us. People might think you're fair. Totally possible. But your worst case scenario is your life probably is the exact same. So then it comes down to how much am I willing to please people and to maintain an appearance in order that I don't fail? Would it be better to keep everyone thinking that I have a great life and never pursue that book, that album, that project, that company, that software app, whatever. Like at a certain point it gets reduced down to is people's opinions about me more important or is what is inside me more important? And if there's one thing I'm completely thankful for in my life is this lack of intimidation to failure. If an idea of mine doesn't work, it actually is no big deal to me. I didn't know if you guys were going to show up tonight. So glad you're here, let me tell you. But I mean, like, this is crazy stuff, right? Like, this is ours. It's kind of yours. <laughs> and so we had to build this rocket ship, hoping that there's going to be fuel, and hopefully there's going to be an astronaut that's going to board this rocket ship. But we didn't know. But if it didn't work, then it's okay. Like, that doesn't, that doesn't, doesn't it fear us. Like, we have to try things. We have to try big, bold things, because if we don't, then who will? But there's something about me that over the years I've learned to be completely unintimidated by failure, and it's because of this, is I learned to develop my identity apart from what I do. My identity is who I am, not what I do. Your identity must always be established in who you are, not what you do. When you have an identity that says, I'm the son of the Most High. I've been given every spiritual blessing. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. He is pleased with me. He's delighted with me. I'm eternally secure, and I'm the devil's worst nightmare. When you have an identity like that, failure just becomes an interesting story. You know, Jesus couldn't perform miracles in his hometown. One chapter later, he's healing a deaf man. He wasn't like, ooh, man, I don't know. This gifting anointing, it, it might be flawed. I, I couldn't do it over there. Like, he did not allow that little bump, that denial of his power to shape how he's going to be powerful with someone else. So one of my ideas doesn't work out. It's like, well, I got like a hundred other ones. I'm going to just try that. <laughs> but we need to develop in the, the, the body, in the, the faith community, in our identities, the fact that, that our value, our identity is exclusively rooted in who we are, who God says about us, and not in what we do. Because we cannot place our identity in any particular situation. Why? It's because any particular situation can fall. So many people put their identity in things they do, and if that fails, guess what? 
their identity adopts failure into it. It's no longer this thing failed. It says, I failed. I'm a failure. And so to break apart that connection between what you do to your identity is so important. But a mistake we usually make is we'll over-spiritualize situations and we'll under-spiritualize ourselves. Even with this building, which, which is a crazy story. I like to get what I want. I wanted this. But my theology didn't, like, when it, when it fell through in the sellers, like, we took a different offer. We, like, increased everything. We had people praying, and then the, the seller said, it's sold. It's gone. I didn't allow my theology to say, what are you doing to me, God? It's like, oh, all right, next. We thought that was going to be a good endeavor, but I'm not going to permit my circumstances to inform my theology. I'm not going to allow my circumstances to inform my identity. So take this the right way as it relates to careers and, and endeavors and jobs is that, that God is not entirely concerned about what you do. He's most concerned about who you are. God is concerned about who you become, not necessarily what you do. You could be the janitor or you could be the president. Before God, it's the same. He's asking, who are you? And he wants you to thrive and to be the best at whatever you do. And we know this from the scriptures, Colossians 3.23, I love this. It says, whatever you do, do it all as for the Lord, not for man. It didn't say, do that one thing that you are, no, you're supposed to do because you have a diploma or a degree in it or like someone told you, like, we have this, we have this open pasture with God to develop in us whatever we want as long as we're not afraid to fail. But so many people get confused about this because they think that the Lord calls them to be successful. The Lord doesn't call you to be successful. He calls you to be faithful. You will have things that you were faithful in that failed. You will have things that you pursue, that you responded to God in obedience that ended up to be a disaster. Let's say that you find someone who's in need and you're like, oh my gosh, like I want to help you. Like, let me go to the ATM. I'm going to, do, I'm going to pull out a thousand dollars right now to help you. And you're like, you're like, stay right there. I'll be right back. You go to the ATM. You withdraw the thousand dollars. You race back and that person is gone. You and the kingdom got credit because you're faithful even though the situation fell through. Even if you never find that person, the father looks before you and says, that counted because you were faithful. It's not about the result. You don't have to go on like this like manhunt to find them. God recognizes that the things that we do sometimes are going to fail, but we can still be faithful even amidst failure. The third thing, let me summarize. So number one is you have to heal from past disappointment. Number two is dismantle the fear of failure. And then number three is to dream audacious dreams. If you want to live a life of significance, dream audacious dreams. Because this is only possible once you heal from past disappointments and next, once you dismantle the fear. In that position, you're actually able to dream like the Father wants you to dream. Dreams worth dreaming are rarely safe. They're going to require risk. This is a newsflash. Safe dreams don't change the world, in case you noticed. Let me take it one step further. Your comfort zone is where dreams go to die. 
Safe dreams are not worth dreaming. They won't change the world. In fact, your comfort zone is where dreams will go to die. By their very definition, dreams demand that you step out into the unknown. You are unsure of how this is going to work. Do you know what a dream is called when it does not have any risk whatsoever? A plan. A dream without risk is called a plan. And plans don't inspire anybody. They won't inspire you. They won't inspire your followers. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. says, I have a dream, not I have a plan. He's like, what have you got out there? He's like, I have a vision for incremental change year over year for the next four decades. Like, get off the stage, you know. No, it's, it's, it's dreams. It's the ability to dream audacious dreams without the fear of failure that actually inspires others and inspires you. You have to be inspired by your own dream because if you're not inspired, no one else is going to be. It's the unknown, it's the risk which awakens people to live and to do what has not been possible. Plans are not audacious. Plans don't require courage. Plans are easily abandoned. And the only way that you can dream audacious dreams is to have soul-connected dreams. It's not important to have any dream. It's important to have soul-connected dreams, soul-connected visions. I don't want to go too far into this because this is a whole separate thing, but I talked about this at Jesus Culture. Let me give you a little teaser. What is a soul-connected dream? A soul-connected dream is when you say it shouldn't be this way. It's not like, oh, I need to develop an app or have an event and maybe people will do something. And you're like, why? Well, because I can. Like, that, that is, that's not right, <laughs> you know. Your response to your commitments and what you pour your life into should always be in response to, it shouldn't be this way. Why are we here? Is that there should not be people who have the, the Spirit of God in them thinking that there are sinners saved by grace designed to, to attend church. Because there has to be more there has to be something greater in us that can be awakened. And so soul-connected dreams. Let me give you a brief explanation of this. I believe this is responsible for every great idea ever in the history of the world. Every billion-dollar company, every great cause, every global initiative is centered around these three things. There's these three experiences which give you soul-connected dreams. It's love, hate, and heartbreak. These are the three experiences which inspire soul-connected dreams. Let me give you a quick explanation of them. Love. What are the things you can pour unlimited amounts of your time into? You're like, oh man, I could just do this forever. I love this so much. It's never boring. That experience of love could be a kingdom invitation for you to gather those who love the same thing or help develop other people to love the same thing as well. This is why we start churches. Like we love Jesus we want to be around other people who love Jesus, and we want to see other people love Jesus. I love scripture memorization, but scripture memorization is like boring. <laughs> it's not fun. It is not convenient, and it takes a really long time, and it's not convenient. So one of my 10 things I started is this temporary tattoo company. You might have seen it. It's all over Instagram now. It's kind of gone viral, which is really funny to see. It's called Armed with Truth, and it's scripture memorization tattoos, temporary tattoos, correction. And it allows you, like, it's on your body. It lasts for seven days. And by the end of it, you actually have this, this scripture memorized in your, you know, mind by accident. It's really fun. 
And it's, it's categorized by types, identity, forgiveness, all sorts of things. It's really cool. But I love that. But this is, and I love, you know, seeing believers live to full lives. So these soul-connected dreams are connected to these experiences, love, hate, heartbreak. What is this thing that you love? God might be saying, I've placed this desire in you to help gather those who love the same thing. Love, hate, heartbreak, hate. I know it's a strong word, but what do you hate? Do you hate traffic? Who here hates parking tonight, huh? <laughs> Dang it, sunrise! <laughs> you know, like, that experience, the thing that drives you nuts actually could be this kingdom invitation to create something better. This is why flying cars one day will be a thing. It's like, I'll never have to be on the freeway ever again. Like, self-driving cars. Like, all this time lost to sitting. Like, it's amazing. But I happen to hate passwords. <laughs> And our, our company, I wish I could tell you our software company. We've got about 25,000 uh, companies who use us, our software. We process almost a million and a half dollars every day for other people that do events and fundraising. It's really fun. I wish I could tell you that I had these noble purposes like, I want to see you know, people do the best events ever. While that's true, the very first version of our software, its main benefit is it did not have a password. Because no one needs another password in their life. And when you want, notice how you guys did not have to have a password to get that ticket tonight? Yeah, right, yeah. It's by design. But that's what we're, we're after. The, the experience of what drive us nuts, these could be invitations. Last is heartbreak. When is the time something moved you to tears? Something that, that stirred your heart, something that pained your heart? There's, there's certain situations and, and stories like I can't even hear because they just, they, they move my heart. I love how often you see Jesus perform a miracle, and you'll, you'll see these three words before, and it says, moved with compassion, and then he healed. You see this pattern of a heart breaking and then a breakthrough. Love, hate, heartbreak. What are the things that break your heart? For me, one of those things was seeing children who do not have proper provision and so a number of you guys here, it's fun to see a lot of old faces. A bunch of us, we went to El Salvador and we re rebuilt a school over about four years. There's like this shed that was there that was called a school. Now you and I would not put a lawnmower in what they called a school. But we were able to brick by brick rebuild this, this school with Mike Malott's help, which is really great. Because all that we had was this heartbreak experience of it shouldn't be this way. Love, hate, heartbreak. Those are the three experiences. I'll leave it there. Those are the three experiences you can have that reveal when you have kingdom of callings and soul-connected dreams. The last thing, you guys doing okay? Is if you want to live a life of significance, you need to develop long obedience in the same direction. If you want to have a life of significance, you need to develop long obedience in the same direction. So many dreams fail because they ran out of time with the dreamer. See, we dream with about a 10-minute threshold. I mean, we have the patience of a goldfish. We're like, we'll take this idea, this thing that we want to do, it's like a seed, and we'll, we'll plant the seed, and then we stand over and yell, grow! <laughs> and we think that, that, you know, by the very nature that this thing is supposed to happen overnight, but so many dreams fail because the people who were dreaming the dreams did not have the stamina to see it through. They gave up. The process was rushed. The pursuit of your dreams is always a marathon. It's not a sprint. 
And it took me three years on WebConnects before I even made a cent. Have you ever done anything for three years before you have a personal benefit? By year three, I was getting tired. I was like, okay, this is, when is this going to change? But long obedience in the same direction. Because as that same analogy of like putting a seed in a pot and expecting it to grow, it is actually impossible to sow and to reap in the same season. It's impossible. There's always a season of time after you sow that you wait until there's fruit. This reaping and sowing idea, it's not guaranteed to happen quickly between each other. Did you know a, a pear tree will take four years, four to six years, before it produces its first pear? Now, if you were like in the Stone Ages and you found a pear seed and you planted it in the ground, after year one, it's like, okay, it's been a year. After year two, you know, whatever. After year, like, I'm going to get a stone and cut this thing down. Like, you'd be Jesus saying, you'll never bear fruit still again, you know, like. But if you don't know what you've planted, you will actually prune it and kill it before it had time to produce fruit. So many of these things with our lives, they require time. But we pull the ripcord on it before it's even time. An oak tree, for a bigger example, 20 to 30 years before it produces one acorn. It's a long time. And the same thing is in our lives. What is something that you actually can commit 10 years of your life to? What's something you can say, I'm going to start this and it's going to be incremental change. And as long as it's got forward progress, I'm okay with that. What we do is we start things, we do things, we have ideas, and then we have this like fuse, we have like this ticker timer on it that's waiting for it to expire. If it doesn't happen on our timeline, we, we get out. What are the things, as you see God revealing to you, what are the things you can say, okay, I'm not in this for one week, one season, one year. I'm in this for a long haul. There's a reason that we bought all this stuff is that we're in this for the long haul. We're, this is fun, this is great, but we're in something that's much bigger than this. So let me close and summarize with this, is that if you want to live a life of significance, you first must heal from past disappointment and do not curse your future by what someone said about you, by what someone else said about you, what you said about yourself. You need to dismantle the fear of failure. You cannot allow your success to be fully determined by what didn't go right in the past. You need to dream audacious dreams only possible once you first dismantle fear and heal from past disappointment. And you dream dreams that are worth dreaming. And last is you need to commit yourself to a life of long obedience in the same direction. So I believe there are actually people in this room that need divine healing in one of these areas. Maybe multiple areas that you are listening like, man, I carry around all those things. I'm going to ask you to be bold. Here's why. Is that God cannot heal and restore things that you refuse to acknowledge. It doesn't do any good to say, yeah, I have this thing I'm carrying around, but I'm never going to bring it to light. I'm never going to bring it before God. He cannot move in something you refuse to acknowledge. And so if you want to be free, I want to ask you tonight, would you respond with some boldness? Can we have the band come up at the moment? If you've discovered from discouragement, from something someone else said about you, you'll never be good at accounting. You're a failure. 
I had higher expectations for you. You sucked at that. Like, and you carry these things around. If you allow these words, if you can still hear those words, and if they are still causing you pain, would you be so bold as to actually stand? In a moment, we're going to pray for you, but we'd like to pray for you to be healed and restored from past disappointments, past identities. You cannot tolerate a thought about you that is not in the Father's mind about you. Every single person who's standing here is identifying that there's something in me that does not match what the Father sees and believes. Next, if you're crippled by fear and you're so afraid to try anything, would you be so bold to stand? Where you're like, I don't even have the courage. I'm so fearful. What if things don't go well? Because we want to pray for you to have courage to be placed into your heart to be bold. And last, if you feel like there's a ceiling on your dreams, there's a lid on what you can do. If you believe like, I, I'm not even, I can't even see a better future of my life. If that's you, would you stand? Because we want to declare vision and breakthrough and dreams for you. is going to come up and he's going to make some declarations over you. We're going to declare and believe for healing for God to move in your heart and to rewire what you think, what you believe. We're going to ask God to place into you courage. We're going to ask him to have those painful words. You, you'll still remember those words. Know that. But they will have lost their power. They'll have lost their influence. Faith does not deny a problem's existence. Faith denies it's a place of influence. And so you'll still be able to have memories of things that have been said, but you will deny its power to influence over your life, over failure. We're going to believe that God has great things in you because God made you powerful on purpose. He did not make you to just survive. He actually made you to be a kingdom mover, a world changer. And if you suffer from the inability to dream, you have to know that the promise of the Holy Spirit is sons and daughters prophesy. Young men will see visions and men will dream dreams. Dreams is your kingdom right. That you actually are have a kingdom DNA that says, I have to see the future. I have to be able to imagine and picture something that's better, something that's bigger.